0: Welcome to the Inspired Wild podcast. I am Trevin Stoltzfus, and I'm sitting here with Garrett Drack, and we're actually going to get a little, uh, we're going to geek out a little bit on some editing and some production and some workflow. And if you've ever been interested in filming your own hunts, uh, maybe doing, your, you know, documenting your own adventures, um, this would be a podcast that would be worth listening to. Um, It might be we might go down a few rabbit trails, but I think it's good information. And you know we we take it for granted. We do it work on it every day. Um, It's it's a workflow that's uh, a little bit fluid because it changes. I mean we we've adapted our style, but we're just going to kind of take you through the role of uh, field producers through into editors into final production all of that stuff
1: and we're in the thick of it right now we're in the middle of quarter three as we're recording this and it's uh yeah it's 16 18 hour days right now trying to get all this stuff put into uh put into a format that the cable tv networks want and uh yeah inundated by it right now for sure so good time to talk about it because it's all fresh in our minds and We get, uh, we're going over past footage of what we recorded last year, um, looking at the techniques that we used, ways that we want to improve, things that we don't want to do in the past, mistakes that we made. Um, We don't want to repeat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we can also dive into, uh, like you said, Trev, the workflow of how we go through things. And maybe that'll help someone out that's just getting into this or wants to tackle this on their own.
0: I, I think we start in the field. I think that's where it all starts. Just like anything you draw the hunt or you buy the tag or you whatever. And there you are, you're in the field. What happens? Our workflow is. So that's where it starts. Um, Day one we have, you'll either have a hunter that has a eight cameraman or possibly two cameramen. Well, I'm going to stop you right there because our style
1: of recording starts even before day one we're you know sometimes two or three days out of the hunt Um, sometimes the preparation for the hunt gets recorded so uh, I mean that's that we want to tell the story of the hunt that's our goal and as everyone knows there's so much more that happens before a hunt even begins before that first day on the calendar of your hunt starts um, you know weeks in advance we're prepping for it and so Those are things that we're looking at, um, specifically if, if it's a very physically grueling hunt. What are you doing to train for that? What are you doing to prepare for that? That's the stuff that we're trying to record. That's a, the story that we're trying to tell, um, you know, whether it's archery, rifle, that, that doesn't make a real big difference. But um, how, how are you preparing your weapon? How are you preparing your body? What's all going into that before day one even arrives? Scouting
0: scouting for sure Uh, we do a lot of hunts on our own um we do hunt with some outfitters that are good friends of ours like uh quentin smith stuff like that but a lot of those we're still doing it on our own he just doesn't have to send a guide with us Mm -hmm. not that i have anything against uh going on your own i think what what's important about going on your own is the fact that perhaps you're paying well, let's be honest. You're paying a fee. What's that fee for? That fee is for all the preparation they do before you get there. A lot of times hunting, it takes you 2-3 days to get an area figured out. Okay, the elk aren't here anymore where they were when we were scouting in August. They're over here. Well, it took you 3-4 days to find them. Well, they've already done that. So that's what you're really paying for. And then, of course, the ability to understand, uh, uh, you know, how best to approach situations. So uh, that kind of is where it starts. And for us, our style, we tend to have two cameramans, yep. two cameramans. Yep. That's not correct. Two cameramen mm-hmm. on a hunt that allows us to have one specializing in, in a secondary and B-roll and when you have two guys going, you're able to get two different perspectives, but also that sometimes things happen and something's happening over here and a cameraman's focused here. And with that secondary, you just get a better chance of getting all the action. Oh, for sure. And I think
1: perspective is the big part of it. As we try to tell the story of what happens in, in a raw and you know unfiltered way, there's two different ways to look at it. It's the over your shoulder as and as intense as it gets being you know as close as we can to an animal a lot of hunters specifically bow hunters relate to that exactly that's what we thrive off of and we want to show that perspective but then to have a second cameraman back off and give more of a landscape-wide perspective and really show how is that hunter interacting with that animal how are those animals interacting on the terrain people relate to that as well uh but i mean that's that's a very unique way to look at things for sure right. and that's why we try to run two cameramen almost at all times
0: all Right, trying to be able to go back and forth to the different angles uh in close almost the point of view although we don't necessarily uh consider a gopro as a primary camera um, but the camera over the shoulder, we do want that to be a primary camera, and we want to, to show. Now, in a, a tree stand, it's a little different because you have, uh, or a blind, you have a little more control. A lot easier to film than when you're having to belly crawl or running and gunning through the mountains. So, let's step away. We, it, it, I don't want this necessarily to be a how to film, but now what do we do? We get back to camp, and here we have this day's worth of footage, and everybody wants to uh, eat and go to bed. Garrett, what are you doing?
1: Not uh, not going to bed—that's for sure. Uh, so, so we each have our own rules when we get back. Uh, at least, I mean, we'll explain specifically how we do this. Uh, the hunter, uh, in your, you know, in your case, Trev or Adam or Lane, they're primarily responsible for cooking. At that point, you guys are making dinner because the cameramen have other duties that we have to do when we get back. One of those is to make sure that all the data that we recorded, whether it's pictures or videos, gets backed up. We we want copies of that because systems fail. You know, SD cards get lost. Um, they get formatted by accident. I'm raising my hand. I've done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to make sure that all of the information that we record it throughout that day, the videos, uh, the still images gets backed up into two different locations every day so that we don't lose that. Um,
0: So you're basically downloading from the SD cards. We have a coding system so that we know what goes with what camera for what day. And then you're mirroring that. And with mirroring that, you're able to again have that uh that safety the safety uh that safety i don't know safety net as much as uh kind of backing yourself up to make sure you did it so there's the cautionary of let's not delete this footage and then there's the cautionary of okay um yes i've already done that now i can move on to the next task so that we kind of have those checks and balances so once we have those on a hard drive and again the way we do it is we have two four and we've switched since we've gone to a lot of 4k we switched to four terabyte hard drives and they're two identical and that's that's what we're putting on one and then backing it up on the other
1: an advice that I would give to people that are maybe just starting out, or uh, is thank you, have done this before is, and I'm relating to I'm relating this to what my dad does, because and I'm sure there's other people out there. He gets back from a day of fishing, a day of hunting. He takes his SD card, he puts it onto the desktop of his laptop, and that's where it lives. And that will fail. I guarantee it, at some point that will fail. So get in the habit, uh, and this, you know, this is me making mistakes in the past, get in the habit of coming back, putting it in two, two locations, two separate locations, and have it, have it backed up.
0: Right, yeah, and we do that, that constantly, yeah. because again, we have projects that, let's say we get back with a terabyte of footage, and that's a bunch of footage, but let's say we have a four or five day hunt, we have a terabyte of footage, and it includes all our assets, that's pictures, that's uh, audio, that's everything we might have had on that hunt. Boom. Then we start building a show. And that is going to grow. That is going to grow into a maybe double, maybe even triple that size. And as we grow, we still have to continue to back up. But here's the good thing about, the basis is if you have that core footage and you have your project file backed up, it'll take some work, but a lot of times you can go back and link to all those other files mm-hmm. and you didn't lose all that week's worth of time or whatever. Yeah, so. that's the
1: other thing As we go through and, um, and we edit all our videos. We use uh, all Adobe products, you know, for, for editing photos, videos, uh, After Effects, stuff like that. As we go through and do the work on the videos, on the images, on the um, the After Effects, we're backing up those individual project files every day in different places. So, like what you were saying, Trev, if I'm if I spend three days working on a project file in Adobe Premiere Pro and I lose that project file, I've lost three days worth of work. Right. So what I'm doing every day is making a copy of that project file on a separate location and it, like you said it'll take some work but it's not i don't lose you three know, days and worth a lot of, work. of times
0: we'll just drop it on our desktop we'll just yeah. literally just yeah. drop it on our desktop and then all of a sudden if we lose that project file that hard drive and it has happened to us the hard drive literally goes down
1: oh yeah and we've got several sitting in the office right now that, that you are can, labeled do not work because yeah, you cannot you can, access anything off you of can them.
0: see the files but you can't get to them yep. Yep. um and so th- w- in that situation you have that safety net so so with that uh let's talk through the first step so we get back now now we've gone we've hunted and we have this these two hard drives with this footage we come back Time, understand time might take place in between these events, mm-hmm. but um, usually for us, uh, we get back, hunting season is, is primarily August through December, let's say. We get back, we've got busy uh, January, February. By March, we're rough cutting. Video. So, video, yeah. right? So we're yeah. gonna start handing that off to, it could be an intern, it could be us, it could be Lane, Mm -hmm. it could be some person is going to have to go through that footage and rough cut. Explain what we mean by rough cut.
1: Rough cutting is you're basically going through and only keeping the video footage uh, that is gonna be usable in a show. And what I mean by usable, it has to be exposed correctly, it has to be framed up correctly, it has to be stable, and it has to be in focus if none of those if one of those four aspects are missing that's really not going to move on in the process we're not going to use that when we build a story when we show video clips of the hunt and so by rough cutting we're going through every single video file that we recorded and we're only pulling out the good stuff and that good stuff the top tier you know the the grade a video footage that is remaining is what we're going to use to actually build the sequence build the, the episode And so it's it's time consuming. There's no there's no real short way to go through all that video footage. You have to look through it all, and uh,
0: even if you've been on the hunt, you have to look through it all because if you were on the hunt, let's say me, and I was the hunter, that doesn't mean I actually know what was filmed. Yeah, because I you know because so the only person that has an idea of what was filmed. And how it was exposed was the person who shot it. The problem is you might be getting footage from five different, six different cameras from two or three different photographers or videographers. So with that being said, yes, there's a point where you have to literally just walk through the days and you go, this is junk. This is good. Not that you'll ever use it. It's not about that. We're not to that storytelling part. What we are Mm-mm. is we're to the point of just saying, let's get rid of all the junk, stuff that we yeah. would know we can't, can't use. Okay.
1: And I would say for, let's take an average five-day, you know, week-long whitetail hunt where it's just you hunting Trev, We've probably got two camera angles and a GoPro. So we've got three cameras running. I would say rough cutting takes two and a half, three days of just sitting behind the computer going through everything pulling out only the good stuff and leaving the bad behind maybe maybe two days and
0: even with that there is times uh, you've done it I've done it hey where's that footage of such and such and such and such you're like I never saw that and then we go dig deeper and somehow there's this one little clip that even in rough cutting you miss Mm -hmm. so just because you're rough cutting it you I mean it's still a it's not an it's it's not a science Right, it's an art, and sometimes things fall through the cracks. Yeah. So,
1: <clears throat> so that's but part and, of it. And we are using it as a cataloging mechanism. Also, true, we've got true. a we've got a system in place. We've got a protocol in place. Um, as as you open up a Premiere timeline, you've got multiple layers that video can exist on. Video layer one, video layer two, three. We designate each of those layers for certain types of content. So, any content, any video layer um sorry any video clip that includes any animal at all we would automatically put on video layer three that way when you and i go back through and try to build an episode and we need footage footage. of an animal we just scrub through all the footage on video layer three we're not scrubbing through all of it and then we put in um, different breaks that separate out the days and separate out the different camera angles and sometimes we even label those mm-hmm. sp- specifically. It's just a way to categorize things so that when we go back through it's a lot less time consuming and, and we can narrow down the footage that we need right away. And there's probably better ways well, to do it. There's, there's we haven't two, found any.
0: Th- that's the, in my opinion the most organized. There is the way that if I was not if we weren't where we're at if I just am going to sit down and i have footage and it hasn't been rough cut and i'm going to build a film start to finish then i rough cut in my mind what i mean by that is it's total random i can't tell you how to do it because i don't really understand it myself but i know the story i want to tell and I just start jumping into the footage and I'm literally just watching hours of footage and the next thing I know, I'm going, oh, I remember this clip, I remember. And I'm going and pulling those clips out. So I will go through, um, uh, again, that's the opposite of what we do for the show, yeah. Yeah. okay? And I would not suggest people do this as the, this is how I'm gonna start editing. But it works really well when you know the storyline and all you need to know is what footage, what clay do I have to mold into this pot? You know, once I know the clay, my raw materials, then I I already know what I want my pot to look like. So in that situation, you can get away with it. But not in a situation where you have 13 shows, and some of them are Kentucky elk is how many terabytes? Over 10 days? Mm -hmm. That's just so much footage. Without the ability to go in there and do that and pull the gems out and get rid of the junk, you would literally... yeah i mean you would yeah it would be
1: and and the example that you were talking about where you've built the episode in your mind and you can just go through and look at the footage and you're pulling footage out and you're you're building the story as you go that's fine but we have so many more demands on us than just building a simple episode we've got um, teaser clips that we need to be able to pull out to to advertise it we've got you know, funny moments Mm -hmm. that we want to put together for social media. We've got sponsors that want certain types of information using products. So, we have to go through this rough cutting we have to go through that whole procedure as time consuming as it is to make things categorized to make it easier on the back end so then
0: when we four months later and we need the clip that we shot on that hunt Mm -hmm. for a wasp tech talk or whatever it might be boom we can go or we want
1: to do a special film that maybe combines four or five hunts Hunts, to tell a different type of story now I don't have to scrub through 24 hours of rough cut footage I go right to where I need to go yeah, so it's it's more work on the front end to make work easier, you know, when when we, we get to the back and, and, end. And of I'm it.
0: gonna just pull this out, this thread out is with Instagram and the minute the minute long maximum or even Facebook that doesn't have that, there's a lot of really good stuff that doesn't make it into the show. And we know this has nothing to do with the hunt, but it's really funny. And by doing it that way, we can go pull those in and use those in social media aspects when we want to without having to go, where was that again? Oh, crud, was that on the sixth day, eighth day? We can go into the social media file or the social media clip file and we have, you know, all of those laid out. So so that's the next process would be what we call rough cut. And then we move on from rough cut. Now, sometimes, um, sometimes rough cutters i don't know if that's the right word sometimes the rough cutting editor is also the storytelling or story building editor sometimes those are the same people sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. so in that situation somebody gets this footage and let's just say it's colorado elk and they put it they pull up the project file and their job now is to start to lay the timeline out of the actual story we normally have an idea how the story is going to play out wouldn't you agree oh yeah Yep. not always sometimes we're like how are we going to tell this story but usually by this point having looked at the footage we know how the storyline is going to go first uh, for for television, we have four segments broken up in three spaces by commercial breaks. That's another difficult thing when you look at the difference between editing films and oh, editing sure. TV shows. Yep, for sure. So we have to take in. We almost have to try and build four separate films because when you go to when you go to commercial, you lose every bit of emotional high or or low or movement and you have to start over now what we don't want to do is i don't want to go and show you a segment go to commercial and then come back and spend 30 seconds or a minute trying to bring you back to that same point that you were before the commercial because understand that after we're done we're going to put all four of these segments together and it's going to be one solid 22 Mm -hmm. minute show that we're going to air on whatever okay in the future so we have to lay these storylines out and now is where we're going and going uh where we're we're stepping into what was pre-selected as far as the best clips and we're choosing the best clips to tell this story and this is when audio becomes important
1: oh for sure yeah as much or even maybe more so than visual um just because audio exp- does a does a different it's a different way of explaining what's going on and as much as video can be you can explain a lot in one short little video clip to be able to hear something um much more concrete i think a much more it's a better way to guide the story i think and so we're almost looking for audio clips to begin with, whether it's an interview or maybe it's dialogue between two individuals to explain what's going on. And then you build your visual clues around that audio. I mean, that, that's, that's probably the way that we look at things for yeah. the most part. I would just kind of as a, a side project, I would love to try the challenge of trying to tell an episode or trying to tell a story, I should say, in an episode with no talking? Like A hundred percent ambient. How difficult would it be to shoot a hunt, to not shoot, that's a bad term, to video a hunt, explain exactly what's going on and have no one talk during the video, have no- Dialogue all of your shots have to be visual clues of how someone's feeling. You have to explain the what, where, when, why, how, and you you get no audio to do it. Okay.
0: That's (laughs) blowing my mind because I, that, I just think the work that entails, I mean, we did the silence of the Arctic, which was a hundred percent ambient sound, but there was a course dialogue and there was voiceover and stuff like that. And, um, but it was difficult to create the emotion that's necessary without music because we use music. Music is a huge help for us for sure. to, 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 to lead the viewer in the emotion or in the direction we want them to go. Yeah.
1: So, so that's huge. That, I mean, that was just my illustration to, to make a point of how important audio is and why we start with that for you, the most part. You know,
0: uh, I was, Steve Finch, who is one of my mentors and, you know, uh, worked with uh, Michael Waddell and uh, tree Road Trips and has done just, he's been in the industry, the outdoor industry for a long time. And it has taught me a lot back when I started and we're still good friends. But he told me something a long time ago that I totally, I truly believe as much today as I ever is that you can take and make amazing an amazing film or an amazing piece out of a crappy video clip with great audio then but you cannot do that with a great video clip with crappy audio Mm -hmm. you can't do it so you either have to recreate the audio in a system like foley where they go back in and literally like they do with the movies where they actually put in the you know where the where the the horse is running and they go You know, the guy with the coconuts, whatever. (laughs) So uh, you put that in there to get the clean audio, or you have to have good audio, Mm -hmm. because the audio does connect in a different way. So I'm just backing you up with that. I agree. I agree. And we've always said that. You know, the difference between the average and the greats is good audio.
1: Yeah. And we've put a lot higher premium on that, even since I've come on board, mm-hmm. which is what, three years ago now, mm-hmm. four years ago. Uh, Dustin Etheridge, our associate producer in the past was huge on bringing us up into a more advanced audio stage. Uh, we've got different, totally different equipment now than what we did before. Right. And um, and I mean, why,
0: why is it when we upgrade our our audio equipment, everything keeps getting heavier? Yeah, you know it's, it seems yeah. like the more yeah. we're trying to increase our audio with lav mics and mm-hmm. this and the, the, you know all these different things everything just keeps getting heavier
1: well and it's there more cords mm-hmm. there's more batteries oh. and they're different batteries right, right. god forbid that they you know our audio stuff runs off of a simple battery it's something different and it, we, we've got cords connected to headphones and you've you know you've heard me on hunts before or, um There'll be field producers, cameramen out there, and they've got their headphones around their neck. And that, you know, I'll I'll turn to those guys. You get Because frustrated. when I get that audio back, or when Dustin has been getting that audio back, he needs to spend sometimes hours cleaning it or up. Or Or even worse, it's a pivotal moment in the hunt. It's a key part to a story that explains what's going on. And we can't use the audio. We literally can't recover the audio. And now it's basically a waste of Here's video a good clip. example
0: of that exact thing. You have that pivotal point in the hunt. We're, we're running the camera. Cameraman takes the headphones off. And then his cell phone is in a position where it literally, because if you have a cell phone too close to your cordless mic or whatever it starts buzzing
1: yeah as soon as you you get as soon as you get lte service it'll interfere with the audio signal. you
0: literally have to just put it in another pocket or put it in your backpack or turn it on 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 airplane mode well in this pivotal point everything's fine so he takes the headphones off because he has great audio he thinks and he thinks he's going to maintain great audio and then you start running through and the audio has a buzz in it it's it's unusable or a guy shifts and now his mic is rubbing on his bi- mm-hmm. bino harness the whole time and he's talking and he's you know, and it's a whisper, so we need that clean audio, which is why we invest in, in the audio equipment and it's unusable. Yeah. So it's so first. If he would have just put his headphones on, he could have said, Hey, move your mic or make an adjustment. Hey, put your phone in your other pocket or I can't hear it. I'm going to turn up the audio because he's in the moment. So. We've all made the mistake. Oh, yeah. Or, hey, camera or uh, uh, lav mic batteries die and we have no audio. You get none, yeah. But it's because they're not wearing their headphones if they would have worked so or their headsets anyway and it's it is frustrating because there's nothing worse than going through a, a oak brush patch and you're hung up on cords and of course the hunter oh, it sucks usually sure. me gets frustrated i'm like come on the elk are right there let's go kill them and you're trying to just get through these yep. places exactly. so
1: exactly but you know you look at the amount of money that we spent the amount of time and effort and tears and emotion that goes through you know, even putting together a five-day hunt, and you don't have good, clean audio that comes out of it, and that's you know, those are costly mistakes that come back. And so we we put a premium on it. We're far, we're far from perfect. We still screw it up. We still make mistakes. Um, but it's definitely something that that we put a priority on because right. we know. How, Editing, how many? I mean, I've probably edited, well, three seasons worth of episodes. You've probably got three times that number of episodes under your belt, probably more than that. Um, you know how key it is and how pivotal that good audio can be.
0: All right, and there's a point where you say, okay, what are we doing that's like a studio? What are we expecting in a situation where we have a controlled environment? And then what do we do within the moment? And the difference is there is a point where we don't work in a studio. We are out in the wild. We are out Mm -hmm. and things are going to happen. And there is some scratchy unshaky or or some shaky footage, some out of focus stuff because things are happening so rapidly. And I think our audience understands that to a point. But when it becomes distracting and takes away from the storyline, that's when it's that's when we go, Whoa oh, oh, for sure. We gotta change this. We gotta fix it. And that's what we're working on. So And we've let very shaky very is. shaky
1: camera shots make it into the uh, make it into the final episode because that chaoticness of the camera moving around tells a, tells story. a story. You know, right. it's it's the difference between a you know, very cinematic like Lord of the Rings shot film versus remember the old Blair witch project right right like those were both shot intentionally very different camera angles very different stabilization and different feels but it's intentional in what it does when you're hauling butt through the woods after an elk because you have to cut them off like you're literally running like I've done that with Adam before in Utah literally running down that yeah, that camera angle is gonna be super shaky, but everyone else can relate to it because you've all been there before, and it, it just it makes sense to do it that way.
0: For sure, for sure. So now we get storytelling. We've laid out the stories. We've got those four segments. Usually by then we've we've popped in our blank spots, which are where our commercial breaks are mm-hmm. gonna range from two two and two two and a half minutes to three minutes is your our commercial break. Now we're gonna hand that off, and we're gonna, usually that's when I get the show here, unless I've started it from the beginning. That's normally when I get the show, and that's the finalization of the story. You're tightening things up. I'm I'm basically tightening things up. I'm trying to assist you, which you're the next person in line. Now, you might have been the first person, second person, then me, then you again, possibly, because we've had that happen, depending upon who's working Mm -hmm. on what projects. I'm gonna sit down with that piece and this is usually a two to three day process and I'm going through depending upon what's happened, depending upon who rough cut and who's doing the story, okay? But uh, sometimes I can do it in a day and it's, it's no problem because I was involved in enough of it in the front, but I'm basically going through each segment and making sure music I'm not finalizing audio, but I might be adjusting some levels for my hearing so that I can just see how the show feels. Because unlike a lot of other people, I edit on with no, ex- no formal training whatsoever, and I edit on feel. And I probably break so many rules if I were to go to school or something and, and go to an editing school. I probably literally would break every rule one through ten that they have but i edit completely on feel and i'm i'm uh uh, with the storyline how how it engages with me so i'm going to walk through that process and i'm going to tighten that up the other thing i'm going to do is i'm going to tighten my time we have structural uh rules and regulations from from the network that says, hey, you, you can do this in the first segment, you have gotta be longer than this shorter. You know, we have some flexibility, but we go through that. Um, but we also have, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, we're dealing right now with a situation where some stuff got kicked back because some graphics were in the wrong spot. Well, you know, okay. We're, right. So we just got to – now, I, again, that's not in this portion. You're going to deal with that toward the end. But I'm going to go through there, and when I'm done with my project, we should be able to sit it da- sit down. It's not color corrected, and it's not final audio, but we should be able to sit down and watch it, and you could get a feel of the show. Exactly. Yep. That's my job. Yep. Then, and I'll put in titles and stuff like that. I will try and put in as much stuff as I can because it makes your life easier and you also see how I want it to flow. Then we hand it back over to you and you're going to take it and...
1: Make it ready for the network. Which is going to be... uh, There's a lot of technical stuff involved in that point. Um, Color correction is probably the most time-consuming and color correction is... There's two parts of it there's color correction and then there's color grading and color correction is making it look exactly like it did in the field so adjusting exposure contrast saturation yada 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 making sure it the way that you saw it in the field as a hunter is the way that it looks on camera and then after that in some cases we'll go through and, and tweak the colors even more to give it more of a feel like maybe we need to to make it look a little darker for, to, for the feel that we're going for, right. you know, something like that. Um, color correction takes a while. I would say half a day per segment, something like that, to go through and color correct them. Um, sometimes it can take longer than that. If we've got different camera angles, um, or if we're using different cameras, they've got different color correction that need to be done. Um, it can take a while to go through all that. Uh, we're trying to stabilize footage in those final edits as well um,
0: if if possible
1: if possible yep Mm -hmm. just to make it a little bit more clean if there is some
0: stuff in post we can do to kind of take a little bit of the shake out of course some of the shake we leave in because it's it helps tell the story but some of that we want you to be able to focus on and not have just the normal shake of a of a guy holding a handy cam right so
1: trying to take that out for Mm -hmm. sure um we put in all the transitions, the dissolves, you know, dip to black, dip to white, stuff like that, that just kind of helps tell the story a little bit more cleanly, I think. In our, and I, in I do our, a lot of
0: that in my process, but mm-hmm. I think sometimes I do it wrong. And what I mean by that is I just, there's a better way to do the dip to black or a better way to do the cross dissolve than I'm using. I'm just throwing something in there to get that feel sure. of that. Sure. Of that transition, and then you're going to come in and finalize that. Yep, yeah.
1: And then we'll put in—we um, call them name plates, but it's basically just little name graphics. It tells who's who. We put in the graphics. It tells where we are, when we're when we're there. If there's time lapses, stuff like that, we'll button those up a little bit and just kind of tidy everything up. And basically, we're trying to make everything formatted correctly for the network so that um, we can do a final export. <laughs> which takes a long time on our machines. It's a good 45 minute hour long process just to export out into the settings that it, the network wants. And then we upload it um, via internet to the network. And at that point it's theirs.
0: After we've watched it multiple, multiple, multiple lots of times.
1: times. Yep, lots of times.
0: So then we're not done. Then it gets taken and transferred to me back. Uh, in a little different format that's been exported and what we call the teaser file format just because of uh, it's just the best way to do it. And what that has done is we've put the video track and all the different audio tracks along with our graphics layer on different uh, uh, lines on our timeline, if that makes sense. So basically... We're gonna start with our alpha layer, which is all our graphics. Then we're gonna to go to our video layer. Then underneath that, we might have our ambient and- uh,
1: Four distinct audio channels, yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. then we bring in any type of uh, music. I mean, it, it all has its own channel. So that then I can take that file, the finalized version, and come back in and make a teaser. And what a teaser is, basically, is exactly as it sounds. It's the teaser for the show. It's the preview for the show. Get you to watch it. Want you to get you hooked. And I build that for the for the network and for our social media. And I used to do them as long as it took. Whatever it took, I build it. But now I build them to less than 60 seconds so that they can use be used on Instagram and Facebook. And I basically go through and I pick out a few highlights of that show that would make somebody go, Oh, I want to watch that. And I put that mm-hmm. together. Then I turn around and I take that. I export that in two different formats. One that's for the network and one that's for us. And then, excuse me. And then we are, um, basically, ready to promote it. And okay. we work along with Sportsman's Channel to put stuff on social media. They put stuff on and they use my teaser or we use our teaser, you know, whatever. It's got, we've got all these assets in place now to promote that show. So that has taken from September in the Elkwoods, just to say it's an elk hunt, to the next third quarter, and it might be airing middle of July because we run on the third third and the fourth quarter right yeah Yeah. but if we took that and in a perfect world or in a theoretical world we are come off the hunt september 15th and we started working on it the 16th we could have that show probably ready to go in two weeks wouldn't you agree yeah we work solid maybe even quicker depending upon
1: if we yeah who was working on what for sure
0: and if you know because when you hand footage to someone to rough cut who was not on the hunt it takes much longer than a guy who was on the hunt yeah just because they they know what they're looking at and it's easier so um and especially storytellers too when we're telling a story somebody who's there like me or garrett or tanner or something
1: so but it never works out like that does it because we get back from our elk hunt in september and sometimes it's immediately the next day you're, going, you're off on your next yeah. one maybe it's two or three days to kind of recruit yeah. wash clothes turn around and go back out and hit it again
0: for me though it's kind of fun uh uh when i haven't visited like we just finished kentucky one and part one and part two and um my, or I should say, I just finished my part of it and I handed them back off to you and I literally had my, my heart was beating because it took me right back to that moment, that excitement, all of that stuff. Um, so for me, having been on that hunt, it's really cool. I get to dive in it and I get to tell that story the way I remember it in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then what's really exciting is to have the footage to back it up. Yeah, the footage to be able to. If I was sitting around a campfire and I told you this this story, then you watch the show. It would be similar enough that you could have gone, "Oh well, yeah, I've, I, that's exactly what Trevin said." You know, versus sometimes we tell the story as it is, but then on the on the screen, whether it be a film or a TV show, we. Uh, we don't have the footage to tell that story so maybe we skip over a few details and we go into you know we only have 22 minutes too that's the other yeah thing. that's
1: quick that yeah. goes by real fast sometimes and having you be able to come back to myself who was running camera tanner who's running camera and be able to say oh yeah you know that took me right back there that means to us that we did a good job on filming it and that doesn't happen all the time i mean i'll be the first to admit that i've missed stuff and i don't you know, I could do a better job of filming it in the field, but to hear your report on uh, the idea that you could truly re- tell that story the way that exactly happens, that means Tanner and I did a pretty good job. You did a great job in yeah. the field of doing
0: it. I, I was, when I called you, and I, I share this with the audience, uh, I called you because I had to get up and walk away. And what I mean by that is not because I was disappointed or whatever, and not quite like the horror movie where you leave the room because you know the guy's going to get it slashed, right? Because I knew what was happening. I was there. I've already lived it once, right? But because my adrenaline spiked so much because it took me back to that very moment, I had to take a break. I'm just like, this is so awesome. My heart was beating like I was in that position. So it was that. This last edit for Kentucky 1 and 2, I felt, it really came together. Cause there was a lot of factors that happened. There was a lot of details of weather conditions and this and that. And sometimes you have to overlook some of those to be able to tell the whole story because you get too caught up in the mundane. But some of them make the difference between being good and being great. Some of those details. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we were able to put them in so you could get the whole picture. Um, just for the, 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 very example, I'll use Kentucky. And so if you guys are listening and you're like, well, I want to see that. Well, now you have a reason to really watch Kentucky. Sure. But when I, in this part two, when we get on that last ridge, that last day we're there and I draw down on that little bull and then I back up and I say, I'm not going to shoot that. I didn't come to Kentucky to shoot that. And that other bull bugles sent shivers down my spine because that's how it happened number one but number two that was the big bull that we were trying to get on and you know it kind of brings it full circle here i am i could have pulled the trigger multiple times on that younger bull that two-year-old bull and i would have meat in my freezer and we would have had a successful elk hunt and be honest how many times if you put me in that situation not knowing circumstances would you say i'd pull the trigger
1: north of 90 percent
0: right because you know me yeah. yeah i would i lay him down i am not a trophy hunter number one yeah number two i love elk meat. and i was at elk and i even say that and then that elk bugles and then we go and have that encounter so i, I mean for me that was yeah ideal and the, all
1: those reactions i think what made that <clears throat> whole sequence very entertaining for one and very realistic is that it, it, it it happened exactly like that you know we were able to catch your reaction in the moment as it happened and i think the the previous segments of the story had built up kind of the successes and failures that all led up to that reaction and you you know like you said you're ready to shoot this little bull and you're like i'm not going to do it you know so the i i think in in your mind there's a little bit of a letdown like can, this might not actually happen like I might not come back from Kentucky with a bull and then there's this last glimmer of hope and that was the reaction that we caught and that's kind of like that pin, pinnacle moment in the entire sequence and we caught it real time
0: and yeah. we caught it with good audio and we yep. caught I mean yep. it, it, yeah, it, yeah yeah I mean, yep. I, yeah and that's and that's exactly. the point
1: in the film like that's one of those those very key moments and we were talking about audio later if we didn't have that audio to go along with the expression on your face, like, I forget what you said, you know, but your eyes were huge because you realized another bull had just bugled. And then it was all this chaoticness of going, trying to get in place. If we didn't have any of that audio, that whole sequence falls apart right right there. I mean, that's just another example of how key having all that setup is. Um, But to have that sequence play out the way that it did is a prime example of one, why we run two camera angles, two cameramen, to capture both the over the shoulder experience and the wide landscape perspective, which we use both of those angles a lot in that sequence. Um, But that's also, you know, why we use the equipment that we do to try Mm -hmm. to capture all that accordingly. And hopefully people can watch it and be like, Oh, that totally made sense. And, yep, I can put myself right there on that ridge as that bull steps out of the
0: yeah the autumn olives. Yeah. So uh, why don't you we real quickly run down kind of a, a, a rudimentary. We don't have to go into everything we use, but let's talk about some of our equipment in the field, especially as we're switching to Sony's. I'm going to run to the little boys' room. You start talk, going through our, kind of our camera list, uh, you know, as far as ha- what our setup is.
1: Sure. Um, as far as the cameras go, we, we – we need dual purpose. Uh, We need to be able to record video, high quality video for the TV episodes, for the network, uh, but also for social media purposes as well or if we're doing short films. So we need really good video. On the flip side, there's so much of a demand for photos and still images that we need cameras that not only capture really good video, but they also have to capture exceptional still images and so that's why we've really gone away from the video camera style you know we used to run the old sony fs 700s or some old canon video cameras but because we need still videos or said that wrong because we need still images uh, we have to run dslrs or mirrorless cameras at this point Uh, in the past we've run a lot of canon stuff um sony has really really taken off right now Um, so we're running a lot of sony cameras the reason we like those is uh, 4k footage is kind of the um, the base platform that you need to be recording at right now and you need to be able to record low light and as hunters uh, outdoorsmen outdoors women we all know the fact that early morning late at night when uh, the light is fading is when a lot of stuff happens. And so you need to have a good low light camera and that's what the Sony does. Uh, In front of the camera itself, uh, we use a wide variety of lenses. And those are basically just like tools to tell the story. There are the wide angle lenses, you know, like a 14 millimeter prime or maybe like a 16 to 35, uh, something wide angle that shows the entire landscape. It gives that whole, you know kind of whole landscape perspective of what's going on on the flip side we need to be able to zoom in and show very high detail of certain aspects of the hunt whether it's the hunter the animals you know very something in in nature that's very um, very interesting so we want to be able to zoom in um, so we use something like a 70 to 200 lens or maybe a 1 to 400 in some cases something that just really zooms in and let us show let us See the detail of what's going on, um, and we're you know swapping out lenses all the time. We're we're just using them as tools to tell the story through a different perspective um, with each camera angle comes, like we mentioned, the audio complications. That well, go and with, with it. each
0: lens swap comes... Oh my gosh. We, we, we've switched recently from the Canon platform to the Sony. One thing we're noticing is the importance of a clean environment to switch lenses out. And it's just so difficult because... Yep. Mm. the with a a mirrorless the the sensors right there there's nothing protecting it
1: and they get dirty
0: and they just get so filthy and
1: like you said trev we want a distraction free episode that goes up there and that means you know like we said having things in focus or having things uh exposed correctly but if you got a spot on your lens that's clearly visible and people look at that and it takes them away from the story and um I'll be honest. We've struggled with it. You know, we've we've shot some video with, in the um, recent past here, and we've had to basically dump that video in the trash can. It's just yeah. we can't use it. And so now you're going out there on a hunt, and you've got you know you got a lot of money and a lot of money and a lot of time and effort invested into it, and you got nothing to bring back in return, right. which is frustrating for right. sure. Yeah. That's the downside of using the Sony's. As much as there's a lot of positives, that's definitely the downside. And you talk of using. through
0: the Beach Tech setup. Um,
1: yeah, the audio. So Trev referred to the Beach Tech. That's an audio device that we use. It's an ex, ex, external monitor. It allows us to monitor the audio coming in. We can adjust the volume levels and adjust and different it things types to get back
0: into the DSLRs. Yep. And, One of the things you can imagine is imagine you have two bricks. Um, like fireplace bricks you know what i'm talking about what are they eight inches wide or long by four inches wide by two inches okay stack those two together and then you bolt them to that's what it feels like on top of your tripod so it's the first thing on your tripod then you then you literally your (laughs) camera's gonna bolt onto that so you're adding weight mass But what it does for us is allows, as Garrett said, he can monitor and make adjustments on the fly to my audio versus uh, a situation where you're just monitoring and you're like, hey, I can't hear you. Well, if he can't hear me, he can reach over real time and turn me up or turn me down.
1: Yeah, yeah if it gets too loud, yeah. too much ambient coming in. It's, yeah. As, and as much as these to, these are just tools that we use to capture it, you know, a lot of um, a lot of what goes on and what makes really good video and really good audio is uh, is the talent that's standing there. You know, the guys that are out there with us that know how to use the stuff that are looking for. Certain- and it's not
0: the talent in front of the camera; it's the talent behind the camera. You know, we. Yeah. we I think in this world of of outdoor TV and you know, I don't believe there's anything. Uh, in this world as a hunting celebrity I don't believe they exist I don't I don't buy into that I just don't think we're celebrities I think we're really blessed but I don't think we're celebrities the talents on the backside of the camera the guy who knows when to use a rack focus not because it's an artistic shot because he's bringing his focus of whatever it is to that individual item or scene or whatever's happening the guy who can on the fly, make his adjustments to his, uh, you know, whether it be uh, his aperture or shutter speed, whatever it might be that he's making adjustments to, to get the shot right, but the shot is going on as it's yeah. happening. And, um, you know, I attribute it a lot to filming weddings. You know, except that in all honesty, I believe weddings are, uh, other than the pressure from the I think weddings, uh, you still have the ability to know something's going to happen where in the woods, you're never going to get an elk to say, excuse me, uh, could you go back through that opening again so I can video that correctly? You're never going to get a bride to walk down the aisle again. It's done. You better have it set up and done right then. The difference is you don't know when the elk's going to do it. The bride's probably going to follow the bridesmaids. And, you know, you have that sequence so you can get things set. So it's pretty, it's on the fly, but it is definitely talent. It's also um, being creative. There's a creativity. We were talking about this in the office the other day. We were previewing some footage. And we were calling out specific field producers' shots because all their shots look the same. We knew this came from XYZ because this is how he shoots it. What we need is to be able to see, okay, I don't mind that. Shot that's a good uh, composed shot, but then let's also get some other type of composure, you know? Let's get up in the grill. Let's let's get down low. Let's you know, all of these different things that leans to the creativity that gives us the raw material when we're in the editing production phase that we can help even tell a better story
1: yeah i think telling the story is key to all of it and you can like you say you can tell a story by having the camera at eye level the entire time and it'll tell a story you know what goes on i think we're always we're all interested in pushing those boundaries and how do you tell a story in a more creative way or is there a different camera angle or a unique perspective that you can use that singles out an aspect of the story that makes it more prominent or it makes people have a a better connection to that event that's going on. And that's where, like you said, that's where the real talent comes through. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of that can really be taught. I think there's just that, you know, innate... (laughs) creative mind that goes on that some people just have and some people don't
0: and there's something else about having that within the moment meaning I have I have the ability to execute a really good shot But when there is when the adrenaline spiked and I'm within that moment can I still execute that good shot? It's the same thing with a bow or a rifle, but it's the same thing with the camera. So we could sit down with somebody and they could have the most creative mind in this no pressure situation. But can they have the same thing when that bull steps out and they're out of focus? Do they have the wherewithal to reach up, grab their focus, set their adjustments, you know, whatever it might be, and and compose the shot and still get everything on film? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's just like hunting. Oh, yeah. It's because you tell me the truth. You're over my shoulder. I'm at full draw. Is your heart beating? Oh, yeah. For Probably sure. every bit as hard as mine. Yeah. Because you're in, you're part of the hunt, too. So people forget that. We're not in a studio. We're not in this nice, nice relaxed condition. We're not where we can say, cut, let's take it from the top. We can't do that.
1: So. I was just thinking about this the other day uh, because we were reviewing the footage from Kentucky elk that and I was reliving that whole sequence that went down when you shot your bull. I don't ever remember pushing the record button on any of the kill shots that I've ever recorded. I've, I don't ever remember pushing it. As, and, and that's just to prove the point that that's how like intense it is and how involved I am in the situation. I've always pushed it at some point, but I've never remembered doing it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And and the funny thing is that's where the, double, the dreaded double tap <laughs> the double, comes yeah. in because yeah. you don't remember pushing it. So you reach up and push it again in the heat of the moment and what does it do? shuts it, it down. It That's, it you know, it, it starts it and it stops it. That's the worst thing. Sometimes I wish there was a start and a stop button that were different on these cameras. Mm-hmm. But what people do is they get in that moment, just like you're saying, they don't remember recording oh. and they don't have the faculties to look up and see the red dot or the REC, whatever. They just look at the screen. They see the animal that they're filming is on it and they're like, oh, I'm not, fil- I'm not recording. And they hit record and they actually shut the camera recording function off. And that's how people miss miss
1: it. it. Yep, yep, for sure.
0: So I'm just glad you do hit record. (laughs) And you know what? I tell people all the time now hey, dude, hit record, let it run. Yeah. Because back in the day, when I was running mini DV tape, my mantra was, dude, tape is cheap. And it wasn't compared to SD cards because it's not reusable, Right. right? But I used to say, just run. Tape is cheap, just run. But the difference is now it is really cheap because if I don't like the footage, I'll delete it. I have it on an SD card that I'll pull out all empty and I have it fresh for tomorrow.
1: doesn't cost you anything.
0: It doesn't cost me anything no. but time. Yep. yep. But time. So hit record, run. Now, if you're the editor and you come, if I'm the editor and you come back and I've got five hours of nothing, that's going to be tough. But if I have five hours of nothing and five seconds of you know exactly what i need it's worth
1: it yeah for sure and that's a you know we went back to talking about the talent of in the in the moment you know that's that's part of it are have you been in those situations enough to one anticipate that something is going to happen as you know sometimes you can't anticipate it all right it just happens and and you're sol um but most of our cameramen have come from a hunting background and there's some anticipation. Like I know something's going to go down and so I might hit record five, 10 minutes before it actually does happen because I know it's coming. You know, it's going to play out eventually that way. But that's also being in that situation, in that proximity to an animal, sometimes a very large animal, and knowing how important that shot is going to be to... B- but it have having experienced it before where i where, you know i don't lose my crap because it's just so eye-opening and so mind-blowing you know that i've never been through it before so it, to kind of settle down and and say this this i've been in so, this situation before i'm not freaking out over it i'm doing my job at this point
0: so let's tell st- i'm gonna tell a story you got two two different camera people okay you have the one uh that in that moment and i've i believe you'll know who i'm talking about but we've had both of these situations happen on the one time the cameraman literally goes switches into hunter mode they forget their running camera and they are helping wanting to help the hunter mm-hmm. be successful call it guide mode call it whatever rather than just all their job is is to run camera okay we've had that happen or uh, a a typical way of doing that is you look over at the cameraman and he's glassing for deer when he should be running camera on the people glassing for deer right right okay I'm not going to knock that because we are a team and we do, there's many a time when you've seen animals, I didn't see them. Oh, yeah. Because I'm focused here and you look up and go, there's an elk right there, you know, or whatever. So we work together. On the other hand, here we are, we're in the heat of the moment, humongous bull, we're about to shoot and the cameraman loses his stuff and he freaks out. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot. And he freaks out. Out. Luckily, the camera's locked down. Yeah. Everything's on, and he freaks out. And I literally have to calm the cameraman down so I can then progress forward with trying to kill this bull. With what you're doing, yeah. Right. yeah. So you have two of those, and it's human nature. It's not, I'm not knocking, this person isn't, whatever or but it is the truth and that's what happens so what we have in our situation is just like in any other skill or sport even the ability to operate in highly stressed situations not necessarily muscle memory as much as being able to control your mind within the Mm -hmm. adrenaline rush oh for sure and it only sometimes guys have it they're like ice running through their veins right no problem Sometimes, sometimes you just got to practice, 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 practice. You get over it. And sometimes guys will never get it. Right? They're, they're very creative. They're very good. Leave them on the sidelines getting B-roll, time lapses, and secondary camera. But they don't need to be over a guy's shoulder. And that's the fact of the matter. Sure. That is the fact that some guys, they're going to have different roles. I tended to be the guy that I, when I was running camera, I liked to be over the shoulder. I was You know, pretty much I could handle that. Um, But without the other guy, you miss something because now you're not creating the atmospherical, environmental uh, picture that this whole adventure sets in. If we can show where we're at, if we can show the conditions, if we could show the bigger picture, um, then the storyline that we're talking about, that moment in time where he captures it, he hits it on record, it's the audio's good, makes that much more of an impact. Yep. For it's sure. all part of it. Yeah,
1: for sure. There's there's definitely those differences and to have two guys that are that thrive off over the shoulder probably isn't the best use of their time to have them on the same hunt together i yeah i totally agree with
0: that but sometimes you just need a camera guys and that's one of our i mean just to be honest that's very 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 difficult for us is to maintain a camera crew that that can go on all the amount of hunts we want here's the deal most of the guys that work for us don't work full-time for us no they do other things and they have other hunts So we find two or three that we really tie into, but then we will literally use them up. We will, all their free time, all their energy, and they have nothing left for themselves. We don't want to do that. We want to be able to bring people in and cultivate that. And sometimes you're scraping around just trying to find someone who can push the record button. And other times we're saying, okay, we're going to send this guy this way, this guy this way. But we just don't have that luxury quite yet. To be able to go, okay, you're primary on this, you're secondary on this. And the reason is because you're over the shoulder, you're great B-roll. And then we send the other good over the shoulder guy on another hunt. We don't necessarily have that privilege or no. that uh, luxury no. yet. Um, and then there's times when we're just all picking up a camera and let's, and you literally, you, you know what you want to try and capture. You just, as far as B-roll and, all this other stuff and you're just hoping you can get the hunt actually films so that you have a storyline that you can build around sure um and 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 you know just because you're trying to get bodies there but i think we've agreed though it's it's not worth it on on some hunts we're at we add priority too not that any hunts more important than another but on some hunts the way they set up they're better to film with the two camera sets with you know nebraska comes to mind it's not worth it it may be great to always have the guy behind but you but the power of having two guys that can get the bigger picture and the one guy close in that's huge yeah that, I, and that's a perfect example of why that works so well
1: what was the average shot distance of the animals that we've, that you guys have taken in Nebraska for a mule deer?
0: I think the longest shot was probably my my white tail that walked out 35 yards. But most of them have been 20 and under, 15 and under. Yeah, I was gonna say. 10 and under? Yeah, we've had some sub 10 yard shots. And you're dealing on a windy, and then those are always on a windy day. Right, and you're always dealing uh, with audio issues, but you know you do the best you can.
1: And that's where I think having that over-the-shoulder camera is so relatable from a point of view. Like you, you get the idea that that buck's right there, right? He's mm-hmm. bedded down, and he's right there. But then to back away and have a secondary angle that shows them in the same frame—that's when you really pick up like. Oh my gosh, he's gonna, he could basically reach out and touch that ant. Like, like, it's that wow factor right. and that unique perspective. And that's a great example of why we run two camera angles. It'd be, it'd be super hard to get that same perspective, say, like in the Elkwoods. You know, oh. you're in the dark timber like it's just not going to happen right it, it doesn't happen all the time and it's not conducive to that type but something wide open like uh, nebraska Mueller for sure that yeah. definitely that's that's where it shines and that's why we do it
0: right. you know i i think people can do different things different ways i don't think we have it all figured out no. i think we're going to no. continue every week to realize there's new and fresh ideas You know, with YouTube and some of the different styles that the YouTube generation has brought, um, it's MTV, uh, we called it MTV documentary. That was the, you know, the first where it was kind of a little bit shaky. Well, now it's basically MTV homeowner camera. uh, You know, there's just the production value has dropped so dramatically with the YouTube because you can film on your phone. You can film. There's so many different ways you can film and people are they're consuming content so much more that it, they're it's they're getting away with it and i've even we've even talked about we've laughed a little bit about how we've had some partners go hey can you guys just film more of that kind of that youtube shaky foot no we've spent 10 years 12 years trying to get away from that shaky yeah. yeah. cruddy footage we we invested in cameras that create a great vibrant Image and all this. I'm not going to go back and pull my iPhone out and do a promo for you off my iPhone. Now, in the moment, in a hunt, we might do an Insta story or you know whatever. But I'm not going to do that normally. What I want to do is capture the essence in a cinematic form that brings you into it and connects you with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's, in my opinion, the way the best way to do that is through our storytelling.
1: Yeah, for sure. So. And that's That's just a style that we're all interested in. Right. There's no right, there's no, no wrong. No. And, it's and, just and the YouTube what we guys, want.
0: I'm not knocking them. i mean people are consuming their content. They're getting, yeah, people sure. are watching. That's great. But that's not us. No. And I'm not going to change. Mm-mm. Now, if footage is shaky, there's a reason it's shaky, because whatever happened, happened. But if there's a situation, then we can, you know, the, there should be no reason the B-roll should be shaky. That's a shot that's, Setting up the exposure of the environment, the uh, depth of uh, what we're looking at, the the environment that we're, uh, the ecosystem that we're, we're hunting in, we should be able to present that in a classical, nice cinematic way yeah, versus, you know, but anyway, that's, that's kind of, I think it's been good. We've gone for, uh, oh, and over an hour and you, it's Dang. 11 o'clock.
1: You need to get out of here. I got to hit the road. I got to get to the airport.
0: All right. Hey, thanks. If you guys have questions specifically on technical production issues, uh, shoot us an email, send us a direct message. Until then, get out there, find what your wild is. Maybe it's on the backside of a camera. Who knows? And whatever inspires you. And embrace that wild. God bless.